0: Good morning. How are you? Good. Um, before, before we dismiss the kids for class, um, uh, Jordan gave a testimony. I want to I give a testimony, but I have to include Rob Welch in my testimony. So Rob, you're going to come forward. Come on. The world-renowned evangelist, Rob Welch. Give it up for Rob Welch. I need I need a mic for Rob. You got a mic for Rob? Any of them? Okay, so no, you're not getting pulpit. Sorry. Uh, I wasn't. Not to, not today. I wasn't tried, I'll I was was trying. To I'll, I'll much, give I'll give so, I'll give you yeah. the pulpit in the future. Okay. All right. Y'all want to hear Rob preach someday? Yeah. yeah. I'm to do it today. I'll go home and take a nap because I'm tired. <laughs> so so Rob and I are are uh, at lunch last week. And, and the phone rings, and he's like, oh, i got to take this. And he picks up the phone, starts talking to this guy, and basically, in, well, while we're sitting there, oh, wait, actually, I'm, I was eating, because you're fasting, right? Yeah. You're still fasting? Yeah. yeah. Doing a 40-day fast. So, uh, so while I'm eating, this guy calls him, he takes the call, and he leads the guy to Christ on the telephone. Wow. And there's a back story and a front story, so... Just share a few minutes about that guy and then the guy's father-in-law. Okay.
1: Uh, Didn't think I'd be up here today, but be ready in season, out of season. Thanks, uh, David. Uh, Yeah, there was a guy named Kenny who's uh, 30 or 31 years old, and he had a blood clot in his back, in his spine, uh, right before Christmas. And actually what happened was uh, he lost the ability to move, you know, kind of from his mid spine down, and this guy's married with a young uh, son, and he, uh, right before Christmas, became completely uh, paralyzed uh, from his waist down, pretty much, and and he's been in need of healing. And uh, my ministry partner Mark and I went and prayed for him if, uh, about three, four weeks ago, and uh, we were hoping to see him get up out of the chair, and he didn't then, but he. His uh, feelings starting to come back. He'll be out of the chair soon. We we believe God fully for that. But uh, Kenny, as as uh, we prayed with him and then talked with him afterwards, uh, it was clear to me that he didn't truly know the Lord. He was God fearing, but had not put his trust in Christ. And his father in law Van was there. And when we uh, were there uh, the first time, uh, Van just seemed really hostile to the gospel. I mean, he didn't he didn't say it. But you could sense it and feel it, and it was clear uh, that he really wasn 't open at all. It was so bad we actually wanted to ask him to leave, but we couldn 't do that because it was kenny 's house and this was <laughs> his father in law but you know you, you know when somebody 's a hindrance, you don 't want him in the way, and it's just, and that, that was the way we felt and and so uh, kenny um, kenny after, after we finished praying for him, talked with him a little bit and and realized he hadn 't tr- trusted in Christ yet so I realized I needed to follow up with him, and I got his, his phone number and, and called him and talked to him. Um, uh, this was on a, on a Monday, and, uh, and just explained, I said, you know, I sense that you fear God and you want to follow him, but you haven't really received Christ yet. And as I explained that to him, he said, you know, you're right, I haven't. And I said, would you like to? He said, yes, I would but then he goes but i got to go into the doctor's office now i got an appointment right now so i'm going to have to call you back so this was on a monday next day i'm sitting with david at lunch and kenny calls back that's why i said i got to take this call i would have taken my wife's call and kenny's call so that was one of the two and all of the calls would have went to voicemail but uh, kenny calls and he'd already said he was ready so i uh, just led him in a prayer of surrender it was just really wonderful he gave his heart to christ and and uh, it was beautiful. And I told him, "Hey, we need to come back and pray for you again." So, a few days later, uh, that Friday, uh, uh, Mark and I came back, and again, uh, Van was there, and he's been with with Kenny much of the time since this has happened. And and Kenny's regaining more and more feeling in his legs. And we talked with Van, and we talked with Kenny, and and we uh, we prayed over Kenny again, and he still didn't get up out of the chair, but. Uh, but he was really rejoicing in the Lord. And he's, he's, he's like, God's going to get me out of this chair. I know it. And, and so, um, so it was just clear God's at work here. But then uh, before we left, I knew I had to ask Van if he had ever received Christ. And that's a good way uh, to find out where somebody's at because you're going to get a reaction to that. <laughs> and, and he goes, you know, I'm not sure. And let me tell you, Van really had a different spirit this time. He was open, and we sensed an openness. He wasn't hostile like he'd been three weeks before. And he said, you know, I'm not sure. And I said, you know, if you're not sure, you haven't. And I quickly laid out the gospel. It's as simple as A-B-C. One, admit you're a sinner. Two, believe Jesus is the Son of God, and he died on the cross for your sins and rose again. And three, C, commit your life to Christ. So I quickly went through the gospel with him. He, he knows he's a sinner, no doubt there. He believes Jesus is the Son of God, but he had not committed his life to Christ. And I asked him, do you want to? And he said yes. And it was just really beautiful leading this guy who Mark and I were hoping wouldn't be there. I mean, that's showing our great faith here. Leading this man who was like, I hope he doesn't hinder us again, Lord. Well, no, actually, he's the one we we're there to see that day. You know, and that happens, you know, and so. So how old was this guy? Uh, he's probably in his mid-60s. There you go. So uh, there you go. don't decide who God's going to save. God will do that. Don't try to be the Holy Spirit and figure out who God's calling and drawing who he's not. Our job is to share the message. But Van opened his heart to Christ. It was just so beautiful. And uh, just his prayer was just wonderful as we prayed together, and, and he added some of his own words really from the heart. And then we, the, the four of us prayed together, and afterwards, Kenny quickly uh, sent me a text just saying he was rejoicing now that his father-in-law, Van, was believing in the Lord. So here's a family coming to Christ out of a, a tragic situation that God's redeeming for his glory. So uh, thanks, David, for right, the opportunity to share.
0: Thank you. Amen. All right, let's stand. We're going to pray. Kids can go to class. Father, we thank you um, for the privilege of being able to share the gospel and to see men and women and children come to you in saving faith, see lives changed, families redeemed. We thank you, Lord, that you are in the business of rescuing people. Um, may we be about your work in spite of the challenges and the obstacles. We ask today would be we would be a fortified for the work that you've called us to do. We ask it in Christ's holy name. Amen. All right, if kids, your kids are in class, they can be dismissed now. Open your Bibles to John chapter um, 15. As you know, uh, Easter is next week, which really means that this today is called Palm Sunday. The week is called Passion Week. Passion here means not passion the way we use it today, but passion meaning suffering. And the suffering of Jesus was not just on the cross. The suffering of Jesus really began in his incarnation. Uh, But the the week before Jesus uh, was crucified, he was the lamb that was being inspected, if you will, before being sacrificed, the Passover lamb. And as you read through the the, uh, synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you look at the last week, of Jesus' life, you see the, the constant attacks on Jesus, the constant plotting, the scheming, the laying in wait, the dialogues with Judas about the betrayal, and you see all of this as things begin to culminate. The hatred of the, the, the leaders and others for Jesus culminates in this final act of, of betrayal that led to his crucifixion. Um, here in John, we have in chapters 13 through 17 what's called the Upper Room Discourse. This discourse took place at what in the other Gospels is called the Last Supper. So when you're reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and it says that Jesus was having the Last Supper with his disciples, really the last Passover and the First Communion, it, it was that's where you have to insert these chapters into your, your reading of those Gospels. So, um, we get a more much more intimate detail here of what Jesus shared at that Supper than we get in the other Gospels. So, <clears throat> this is really on the eve of his betrayal. So, this would have been on probably what's called Monday Thursday, Maundy Thursday, which is the day before Holy Friday, Good Friday they call it, um, and so, the disciples had seen what was going on that week. They had seen the attacks by the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Herodians. They, 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 they were aware in some sense of... of now, they, they, this had been going on for a long time in Jesus' ministry, right? But it, it clearly intensifies here. So they're, they're seeing these things happening around him. And so, Jesus in John 15... Uh, says this to his, his disciples in 1518. He says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master." If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would, not, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my Father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. From Psalm 69. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you, because they have not known the the Father nor me. But these things I have told you, that when the time comes, you, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where you're going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So, today I want to speak about the the hatred of the world toward Jesus and toward his people. Um, The first thing... Is why does why does the world hate the church? Why did Jesus have to say to the twelve? Why did he have to warn them regarding the hatred of the world? What is the, what is the cause of this hatred? Well, when you when you look at this text and, and other places, Jesus Jesus gives us this this pattern or a, a, a progression, if you will, and he's saying, "Beware! The world is going to hate you." Talking really to the first the apostles, but then the church. Are you part of the church? Raise your hand. Okay, that means you. The world's going to hate you. Why? You're such a nice person, aren't you? You're so good looking. You're so smart. I mean, why would the world hate you? Well, Jesus says the world's going to hate you because the world hates him. But then why does the world hate him? He says the world hates me because the world hates my father. So it goes from the father to the son to the church. They hate the father, thus they hate the son, thus they hate the son's people, the church. That's the pattern. And the reason they do so is is the, the people of God, not to mention God himself, are not of the world, Jesus says. This is what he tells us. He says in verse 19, 15, 19, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So when Jesus says not of the world, he means that the church is different in spirit, different in values, different in purpose, Different, really, in the most profound sense, because what the Bible says is that the church is the new creation. Okay? You know, here's the thing we have to understand about when God looks at things when God looks at the world, I mean humanity, he doesn't see the institutional church and the lost. That's not what God sees. God sees the saved and the lost. And they're not the same. The saved and the lost. In other words, God sees those that are in Christ, the saved, those that are in Adam, the lost. He doesn't look at Christianity and say, oh, look at all those people filling the church Sunday morning. Those are the good people. These are the lost people that aren't in church. That's not the way God looks at it. It's truly united to the Son through faith that is born again by the Spirit of God. Those are the saved. Those are in Christ. Those who have not yet been born, they are of the world. They're the lost. Those are the only two categories. It's not race. It's not gender. It's not even creed. It's are you in Christ through the new birth? Are you united to Jesus by faith? Or are you still united to Adam through unbelief? So there are those of the world, those who are not of the world are those who are in Christ. The, the opposition of the world to the church is that the world loves its own and the church is not its own. The church is different. The church is unique. The church is a, is a rebuke to the world by its very existence. Its very existence is a rebuke to the value of the world. The world loves its own. The world loves its own things. Uh, we're coming back to here, but go to 1 John for a moment and look at chapter 2 and see what John says here. He says this in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. He says, do not love the world or the things of the world. Now, when he says do not love the world, he doesn't mean don't love people. That's not what he's saying. Okay, he's saying do not embrace the value system and the principles and the priorities of the world. He's not saying don't care about lost people. It's not what he's saying. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it is of the world. The world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Notice here that John says that the love of God and love of the world are fundamentally incompatible. That is why the world doesn't love the church. Because it doesn't love God. And they either love God and the things of God and thus the people of God or they love, they hate God and thus they hate the people of God. Now I know that hate is a strong word but that's the word that Jesus uses. He doesn't just say dislike. He says hate. Because that is the sentiment. That is really what it is in its core. But it's rooted in a a hatred of God and, but also a love of the world. It's also rooted in the desire for the praise of men. Look at the Gospel of John. Go back to John, in chapter five. In chapter five, Jesus is giving a long. Uh, he's in a in a argument with the Pharisees, and much of John is Jesus arguing with the Pharisees, right? And he's arguing with them why they should believe. Starting in verse 33, he says, You have sent to John, and he has borne witness of the truth. In other words, the first reason he's saying you should believe is you have the testimony of John. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, but you were, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John for the works which the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. So the first witness was John. Remember John? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John's witnessing to Jesus, you know, make, making the, the, the path of the Lord straight. And then he says, secondly, the second reason you should believe is the, look, look, at the look at what I'm doing, he's saying. Third witness is the Father himself. Verse 37, And the Father himself who sent me has testified to me, and you you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. Now, why would Jesus say that? Because they had heard his voice and seen his form. When? When did that happen? At his baptism. At his baptism, God confirmed through speaking and through the descent of the Holy Spirit... in the the form of a dove, that this is my beloved son. Now, Jesus said, you didn't see it or hear it. Well, did they or did they not? Well, they did and they didn't at the same time. That's how unbelief works. Unbelief sees but doesn't see. Because it's unbelief. So, he's not saying that event didn't happen. Quite the contrary. He's rebuking them for when it did happen, they didn't see what was happening. Fourth witness, the Scripture, 39. And you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. Here they are, students of the Word, profound theologians, have much of Scripture memorized, and they still couldn't see Jesus. They couldn't see the the main subject in Scripture, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He says in 40, But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men. But I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. For I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes only from God? So it's because the world loves its own and loves itself and loves the praise of the world itself, that, that it, is, it is hostile then toward the church, which means it's really hostile toward Christ and ultimately hostile toward the, the Father. The manifestation of this hostility, back here in John 15 and 16, Jesus mentions a couple things. He says, notice here in chapter 16, he says in verse 2, he says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. So the hostility of the world is shown in many, many different ways. It can be indifference. It can be slander. It can be gossip. It can be Facebook pages about you. It can be calumny. It can be lies. It can even be physical harm. You can have your home vandalized. You can have your life threatened. I've experienced all of these things. All of them. The striking thing about this is that is is not that the the hatred is being manifested, but what's striking is that the, is that the hatred is justified, and it's justified in the name of God. Notice, very important. Pay attention. They will put you out of the synagogue, so they're in the synagogues. These are the spiritual righteous people, right? They'll put you out of the synagogue. Yeah, you know, the time's coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. This is God's work we're doing. We're doing the righteous thing here. This shows the blindness and the hypocrisy of the world. That it that it is engaging in evil and hatred and calling it the work of God calling it righteousness, calling it social justice, calling it caring for the poor, calling it feeding hungry children, calling it whatever use to justify hatred. People that traffic in hatred and slander and lies are not God's people. And they are not doing God's work. This is merely a pretense... A justification, it is really a self-justification for hatred. The truth was, and is, that men love darkness, Jesus says, more than light. Therefore, they try to extinguish that light. They want to put the light out. Why? Because the light convicts, right? The light exposes darkness. And when the darkness doesn't want to be exposed, the only thing you can do is turn the light off. So people try to shut down the light. But they don't just shut down the light, they, they justify it. Okay? And so you, you always see a justification for attacks on Christians and attacks on the church there's always a justification and 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 people talk about the hypocrisy of the church or the evil in the church or the church doesn't care or the church is abusive or the church is this the church is that you see these are excuses and self-justifications for hatred if you care about the church so much then why don't you be a part of helping the church would not you give a lot of your money to the church? Why don't you give a lot of your time to the church? Why don't you give your, your hours of prayer to the church? No, it's just easier to sit back and slander other people. So the, the, the world will hate the church, and sometimes the world is in the church. Don't shout me down now. Sometimes the world is in the church. And, and the fact that somebody says, I'm a Christian, and they go to church and they even take the sacraments, doesn't make it so. And you, see, and you see in churches hostility, you see factions, you see gossip, you see slander, and a lot of it is the people doing it aren't even really members of the true body of Christ. They're professing Christians, but nobody gets to heaven by professing Christ. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Many will say, Lord, Lord. They say it. They say, Lord. They speak, Lord. They talk religion. They talk about Jesus. They they can quote the Bible. But Jesus says, they don't do the will of the Father. They they are in rebellion against God while talking about Jesus. It's true. And our churches are full of rebellion. Full of rebellion. It's against God, it's against his son, against ecclesiastical authority, against parental authority, filled with rebellion. And when God looks at the church, when God looks at the world, he sees the saved and the unsaved. And sometimes the hostility you're getting from Christians, they're not Christians. Jesus said, you know them by what? Their fruit, not by their words. Their fruit. We keep on forgetting this. We have lowered the bar so low in evangelicalism that most churches will, don't even have membership anymore. That's asking too much for somebody to sign a piece of paper. That's too much. Of course, they'll sign a piece of paper, to get a credit card. Sign a piece of paper, to get a house. Sign a piece of paper, to get a car. But they won't sign a piece of paper to be part of a church. So the church is come, come as you are, leave as you are, do as you please. That's church in America. Just so you come, it does, nothing else matters. Just come. Nothing else matters. I uh, was sharing with somebody recently about an author that I, that I interviewed years ago. Wrote a, wrote a book called Stealing Sheep, and i probably shared this with you before. But uh, it came to mind recently when I was, I, I was looking at the book again he was trained in how to build big churches. And sure enough, if you do the right techniques, you can build a big church, and he built a big church. But after he built a big church, he realized that his church wasn't holy. And he realized that God convicted him and said, you know, you need to deal with sin in, in the congregation here. Yeah. And so he began to address sin, not just from the pulpit, but he did the most unspeakable thing anyone could ever do. He actually talked to people individually. God forbid that a pastor talks to people about their moral lives. I mean, God forbid. We just don't do that. And he said, thousands of people walked out of his church. Thousands. Thousands. When he started talking about holiness and sin. His church was full of the world. And God, thank God, they all left. Because you either come in saved or you don't get in. Now, you can sit in a pew, you can sit in a chair every week, but you don't get in the kingdom if you're not truly saved, if you're not truly born again. That's why Jesus, after he tells the parable about going out and the, 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 compel them, come in, compel them, bring them in, bring them in. Then he ends with this weird thing like, well, the guy tried to get in, but he didn't have the right robe on. And for years, I'm like, What? Like, that's a bad way to end that story. <laughs> no, it is. It should be, people come in and everybody's happy. But the point is, is that is he, he was ex- ex- exhorting, uh, 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 of course, the church to go out and bring them in, bring them in. But he's also saying, by the way, they don't just come in by walking in. They have to have the, the robe of righteousness on. They have to be born again. They have to be filled with God's spirit. They have to be saved. Not just go to church; they have to be saved, right? So, when we talk about the, the, the hostility of the world, remember sometimes that hostility has a Christian face; it has a Christian profession. But Jesus says, "You know them by their fruits." Christians don't traffic in hatred. Christians don't slander. Christians don't 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 uh, lie about people. Christians don't lie. Christians don't treat even their enemies that way. They do not do evil in the name of God. That's not what Christians do. Because Christians are called to love their enemies. To pray for those that persecute them. Amen? That's what Christians do. Secondly, second main point. Jesus warns them, okay? Uh, Why does he warn them? Is he trying to discourage them from witnessing? Hey, by the way, guys, they are going to get rejected, so just give it up. Just stay in the upper room and have church. Just sing songs and be happy. Don't go out there. It's hard out there. It's hostile out there. Don't go out there. Is he trying to discourage them? No, he tells them exactly why he's talking about this. Look at John 16. Verse 1. These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble, or you should, literally you should not be scandalized. You shouldn't be offended when when someone rejects you, when someone criticizes you or attacks you because of your faith. In other words, don't be surprised. Don't be caught off guard. It's a very simple principle here, and that is to be forewarned is to be forearmed. I was talking to Steve the other day about his sons and the Marines, and like, what's he doing now? Well, he's spending days and days up in the mountains in freezing weather, carrying 130 pounds on his back. Well, why is he doing that? It's nice out there in California. That's nice weather. Why isn't he on the beach? Because any moment he could be in battle conditions. Any moment. And and soldiers have to be ready, right? Soldiers have to be ready for hostile conditions. Well, guess what? We're living in hostile conditions. The world hates the church. Jesus said the world will hate you. Not just the apostles. The you is them and those that follow in their train, the church. Okay? So Jesus is forearming us by forewarning us. Don't be surprised when you get some pushback. Don't be surprised if you're criticized. Don't be surprised if you're slandered. I love, uh, there's a lot of things I love about Jesus, right? But I really love his honesty. I really appreciate the fact that he didn't write a contemporary evangelical book. Because pretty much the message is, Jesus will give you the happy life you always wanted. He really will. He'll give you the perfect marriage. Your kids will never walk away from the faith. You'll always have money in the bank. You'll get that next promotion. Because you know what? It's all about you. It's all about you. Well, that, my friends, is not the Jesus of the Bible. If you read the the gospels honestly, openly, you see Jesus promising great rewards, but they're not usually here. Now I'm saying doesn't I'm not saying God doesn't bless our lives. I believe He does. I believe God blesses us with many things, and and pretty much if you're in America, you're you're more blessed than you even realize. Okay, we're blessed, but Jesus did not hang on that cross. So that you get a raise. That ain't why it happened. And so Jesus forewarns us. Repeatedly in the gospels. All the way back in, in, in Matthew. Before he sends the 12. Well, Can we go there? We'll go there real quick. Go to Matthew. Matthew 10. Now this is early, early, much much earlier on in his ministry. This is before the, the 12 even went out. On their first little jaunt. Their first evangelistic outing. Right around that time. So as he's sending them out in in Matthew 10, it says he called them to send them out, right? Gave them authority. But he warns them. He says in verse 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Doesn't that sound like your office? (laughs) Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men. For they will give you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you will speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it's not you that speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. You're now, brother will deliver up brother to death, father against child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put. How how, how could you have such animosity in a home? Because the world hates the church. And if, and if part of the, the family is unregenerate and in the world and part of the family is saved and in Christ, you will have hostility. May not be openly expressed, but it'll be there. And here, it's clearly openly expressed. So Jesus says in 24, Disciples not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It's enough to be like your teacher. Anybody here want to be like Jesus? Raise your hand. You sure about that? (laughs) 25. 25. It's enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Are you prepared to be called someone who's demon-possessed? Are you prepared to be called evil? That's what Jesus is saying. Sorry, I didn't write it. I'm just sharing the good news. Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will, not be, that will not be known. All their self-righteous justifications for hatred will be revealed and will be exposed. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light and what you hear the ear preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather for him, meaning God, who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Therefore, do not fear uh, you are of more value than the sparrows. Now, there's nothing can befall the church or you individually that God does not permit in his fatherly care. We must rid ourselves of the idea that being a Christian means being, always being liked and always being popular. Because it is clearly not the teaching of Scripture. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says this. One of I think one of his most powerful statements. Because it just sums up this, this whole idea that the world will hate the church. In Luke chapter 6, he says in verse 26, he says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. We have... Christian bookstores with rows and rows and rows of books telling Christians how to be liked. How to be successful. What to wear, what to say, how to be, how to act. So that you're liked. What does Jesus tell us? If all men speak well of you, there's a problem. And I think if all men are speaking well of you, if the world speaks well of you, then then is your light shining very brightly? That's the question. Jesus warned the disciples and us to not stumble, not to be scandalized, to realize beforehand that some will reject us, some will criticize us, some may even try to kill us. But he doesn't tell us this to discourage us. As a matter of fact, he wants to actually encourage us. (laughs) Sounds strange, doesn't it? Because what Jesus tells us in this passage is that in spite of the hatred of the world, Jesus says to his people, I and the Father love you. I and the Father love you. Here in John, if anybody knows anything about John 15, they know the abide in me passage right but then they stop at verse 18 because then jesus starts talking about hate we have a funny way of reading the bible that way don't we but see they go together because jesus is contrasting the love of the father for his people with the hatred of the world for his people that's what he's doing here the compensation are you are you are you, are you listening the compensation for the hatred of the world is to know the love of God the Father and God the Son. That's the compensation. And let me, let me ask you, which would you rather have? The love of God or the love of the world? Which would you rather have? The, 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 the hatred of God or the hatred of the world? Well, put that way, it's obvious what the choice is, right? So the Lord says to his people, he says, abide in me. Verse 9, as the Father, fifteen nine, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Stay in my love. Stay in my love. And as you experience my love, yes, the world may hate you, but you have my love, which is greater than the hatred of the world. But he also encourages them by saying, not only do I love you and the Father love you, but I and the Father and the Spirit will be with you. We will be with you. And he says in 1526, he says, and when the Helper comes, whom I shall send from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness, because you've seen Excuse me, you have been with me from the beginning. And then in verse 7, he says, after saying you're, sorry, you're sad now, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come, but, I will de- but, but if I depart, I will send him to you. In other words, although I will be gone physically, I will be with you spiritually. And he even refers in, in John 14, this remember, this is all one, one conversation He says, the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they all will come and manifest themselves to those that abide in him. You can have the Trinity or you can have the world. Which would you rather have? The smile of God and the frown of the world or the frown of God and the smile of the world? The smile of God. The smile of God. Knowing that God looks upon you and he has his complacent love resting on you. And he can look at you and say, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. That, my friends, is a, is a wealth the world can never have. And they hate that we have it. And they can never get their grimy little fingers on it. So Jesus, is, he is... Encouraging them, actually. Preparing them for the battle ahead. Let me conclude, because our time's up. Two things. One, like the apostles, we the church are witnesses. Amen? Amen. Therefore, accept it as a fact that some will reject you. Let me state it again. Therefore, accept it as a fact that some will reject you. I said some, but not all. Some, but not all. As you read through the book of Acts, and even through the Gospels, it's amazing how many times they'll say, some believed. Not all, but some believed. Meaning some didn't believe. And especially in Acts, when Paul's going to these synagogues in different areas, you see this, this hatred of some of the Jews toward him. That's the hatred of the world, right? But then it says, and some believed. And some believed. You know, you don't ever get to the some believed part if you don't deal with the hatred part. Jesus is not saying, oh, well, go on out there, boys, but no one's going to believe. That's not what he's saying. In fact, he's quite the contrary. He says, I've, I've called you and chosen you and appointed you that you go and bear fruit. And he they says they've given you the Holy Spirit to be a witness in you and through you. So go and do this. But remember, some people are going to hate you. Some will hate, some will repent and be saved. And the, the story Rob shared earlier, an individual who was hostile eventually repented. Right? But what if he said, oh, well, he's hostile, so I'm not going to ever go back there again and talk to them about Jesus what would have happened then? You see? You don't get to the some-believed part if you're not willing to take the some-will-reject-you part. They go together. Remember two things in conclusion. It's not personal. It's not personal. You can be sweet as candy cane, some people are not going to like you if you talk up for Jesus. It, it, it's, it, it, I'm telling you. I've had conversations with people that don't know me, and we're having a glorious time just talking and chit-chatting and friendly. And once they say, what do you do? <laughs> if I tell them what I do. Some people are like, oh, cool. And they keep on talking. And other people are like, it's as if a snake came out of my mouth and attacked <laughs> them. The look of horror on their face, face when I say, oh, I'm a pastor. They, they know nothing about me. They liked me until they learned that fact about me. Well, that's the hatred of the world. That's the flesh's instinctual dislike of God. You see? It's not personal. It's not, it's not me. And it's really not you. Now, of course, you know, you can be a jerk and people won't like you. I understand that. And some Christians are kind of jerks sometimes. I've had a lot of people show me, you know, when I first got saved, I was so excited. I went home and told my daddy to going to hell. I was like, that was really a mistake. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, we can be an offense in our zeal sometimes. But I'm not talking about that. Okay? You can be sweet as apple pie with ice cream and whipped cream on top. And man, I am so hungry right now talking about that. (laughs) And some people will take the pie and throw it in the trash. It's just true. And we have to accept that. But it's not personal. It's not really about you. That's what Jesus says to... The reason he says, the reason they're hating you is because they're hating me. And by the way, the reason they're hating me is because they hate my father. The real issue is their disposition toward God. And it's not about you. Well, I think that makes it a lot easier to accept the rejection. Because it's really not about you. They may call you evil. They may call you names. They may slander you and libel you. But, it, but it's not true. They're just manifesting their hostility toward God. The second thing to remember is in spite of... uh, Not only is it not personal regarding their hatred, you know what? God loves you if you're his child. And that's enough. Isn't it? God loves you. So, the fact that others may not love you, it may be sad, it may grieve you, it may even bring you to tears. When Jesus wants... In, his, in the Passion Week, when he entered in Jerusalem for the last week, he looks at Jerusalem and it says that he wept. He wept. For the very people that were going to crucify him, he wept. Man, you talk about love. It's sad. It's sad to be people see people that hate the truth, hate the light, and, and, and they, they try to make it personal, and they attack you. They attack your family. They attack your ministry. They attack your church but it's really not about that it's about their disposition toward God that's really what it's about last thing I want to say is you as a true child of God do not traffic in hate this is a poison that will destroy your life and destroy your family and the enemy wants to wound you so that your wound becomes infested with hatred you hearing me so you hate back. He wants you to hate back. Because that's how he entraps you in darkness. That Jesus could weep over Jerusalem. That Jesus could hang on the cross and, and look at those who would literally pierce his side and nail his hands and feet and say, Father, forgive them. That kind of love is available to us through the power of the Spirit of God. That is available for us. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it, 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 it will not wring tears from your eyes, but it is available for us. Whatever you do, if you're falsely accused, and, and, and I'm going to say this, I hope you are, because that means you're, you're standing up for Jesus. Do not traffic in hate. You do not return hate for hate, evil for evil, but rather blessing for evil. Do good to those who despise you. Pray for those who persecute you, is what Jesus taught us. Then we will see who are the true sons of God and who are the sons of the world. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Lord, I thank you that you have forewarned us. I thank you, Lord, that though some will reject the gospel we preach. We thank you for those that will receive it. And I pray that we, your people, we would not be the obstacle to men and women coming to Christ. That we would not be the the stumbling block because we fear rejection. But rather, Lord, that we would be bold in your love, bold in faith, bold in declaring the gospel, and leave the results in your hands. And I believe that if we are faithful, Father, that we will see you work, we will see you save souls, even though some will not believe. Some may hate, some may reject, some may slander, but some will believe. And I pray that for those who will believe, those that you are drawing and calling, for those, we will be a faithful body. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have promised us your presence. And Lord, when you gave the great commission, you said, go into all the world, you ended that commission with the simple statement, Lo, I am with you always. That is the promise, that is the power to fulfill a commission. And I pray that each one here, Lord, would know the reality of your presence in their lives. The reality of your love for them in their lives. And that love and presence would make them confident and bold for your name. The name of Jesus, which is above every name. And we pray in that name. Amen.